This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am joined tonight making his return to the podcast nick cellini of 6a the fan nick good evening how are you hey chase thanks for having me back yeah you came back i was surprised i didn't know how the first one went but it sounds like <laughs> if you came back that means you had a good time the first time listen i'm surprised you had me back so uh, it's a two-way street my friend there you go um so where are you right now on the the road to 25 best atlanta sports figures where are you at at this point I think we're now at number 16. Today we had uh, number 17. It was a dual uh, number 17. It was both Jared Jack and Will Bynum for what they did back in 04, uh, leading Tech to that Final Four run, that championship game run, actually, in San Antonio. I spent a week in San Antonio, so I'll never forget it, that's for sure. Was that Emeka Okafor UConn final? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was definitely. That's crazy because I actually, it's weird when you go back and like certain sports moments that stick out in your head and you don't really mm-hmm. know why they, you remember where you were at that moment. I remember exactly where I was. I was in New York. I was at a sports bar with my family and I remember watching the tech game on TV because it was like Marvin, what was it? Not Marvin Lewis. He was number 24 on tech. What was his name? Oh, uh, oh gosh. Yeah. He actually worked. Uh, he works in a financial firm now. In oh, the really? city of Atlanta, okay. and oh, I'm gonna beat myself up for not remembering the name. I remember it, it was like, Jack. It was um the the Australian dude, the ginger. Yeah, Luke Shedster. Yes. Uh, was the center, and then actually B.J. Elder was hurt, so that's why Will Bynum played such an instrumental role on there that team. Yeah, and had a long NBA career. He bounced around a lot. He, he made it a lot longer than I ever would have expected Will yeah. Bynum to make it. Yeah, he did. And then, of course, Joe Jack had a real good NBA career. He's but, not uh, done, yeah, man. Was, uh, still getting checks. No, he's, uh, yeah, he's still going. So good for him. And uh, I just remember I was late getting into the Alamo Dome for the championship game, and UConn just jumped out to a huge lead. So by the time I got in, it, I couldn't believe the score when I saw it. It, it seemed like an optical illusion. But, you know, Tech kind of made a game out of it in the second half, but they just fell behind by too many points early in that game against a team as good as UConn was. Obviously, they won, they won the title, so there was no coming back at that point. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see Tech or Georgia back in the Final Four anytime soon. Not, yeah, I would not, I would, yeah, I would not hold my breath on that one, Chase. That's for sure. No. Did you see the Trey Young shot live last night? Um, I actually did. I was watching it on Fox Sports South. Um, that was Look, that was a shot that he struggled making back in summer league when he first started playing for the Hawks and everybody remember everybody was making fun of him, but he said, look, I struggled out of the gate when I was at Oklahoma the same way. And I'm not going to lose any confidence. And, and obviously he hasn't. So I don't know how many games they're going to win, but I, I just hope that they can be fun to watch at times. That's, that's the goal. And we were talking today about them on the air. It was like, be good, but don't be too good because we still want to pick up some lottery picks and, and build this thing 
from the ground up. I don't think you have to worry about them being good, Nick. No problem. (laughs) I don't think that's a concern for uh, Travis Schlink in this group right now. I don't (laughs) think there is any like, oh, God, we might get the eight seed. No. No, there's none of that. No. No, much like Tech and Georgia going to the uh, the final four, I don't think we have to worry about the Hawks. Not even, never mind the the uh, the NBA Finals, uh, the playoffs. That that's certainly a tight a pipe dream at this point too. I will say, in the Athletic, um, there is a post game uh, article on the game and trailing shot, and um, he's just a really easy guy to root for. He's a I I still think the Luka Doncic trade is going to come back to haunt them for years and years. That can be true. None of that has to do with Trey Young because he did not ask to be put in the position that he's in. He didn't want to, like, he did nothing wrong. But it's also like you read his quotes where it's like he had the game winner and he immediately went to the locker room and texted his family and friends. And it's like a ritual for him where he just goes, like, head down, just very grateful, just a genuine, likable guy. Like, I still have a lot of questions about how he's going to work on defense. And I think. He, that's where they're going to be in real trouble. But he's a much better passer and he gets credit for and all that stuff. But like, he's just a really easy guy to root for and him just pulling up. And like, there's a certain thing where there is a little Steph Curry there where it's like, um, on that play, like he knew that Alex Lynn was going to draw, um, Forbes attention for a moment. And once he turned his head slightly, he knew he'd get a shot off over him. I mean, it was at basically half court. So even Bryn Forbes may have been like, he wouldn't actually pull from here, would he? Oh, no, 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 he would. And he did. And if he does that like two or three times over the course of the season, even if the Hawks win like 17 games, I think it's a win because this is going to be uh, a tough watch, I think. But if Trey Young has a couple of those and they're, they beat the Bulls on a random Tuesday with Trey Young going for like 36 and 12, like that's fun. I think that's all you can really hope for is that he has at least like a handful of those, but it's like, you read quotes like that and you're like, you know what? I really like this guy. And I think it's going to be someone who you just, you want to see do well. You you feel bad for him that he's always going to be linked to Luka Doncic. But at the same time, I think uh, I'm start. he's starting to grow on me. I mean, I hope it works out. Doncic obviously is the guy that the so-called experts said was the better player. And I think you're right. I think there's going to be some nights he's going to play very well, but this team's not going to win a lot of games. And I think people are going to go down there and enjoy the brand spanking new State Farm Arena. You got the Killer Mike's Barber Shop and the, uh, the Top Golf Simulator, and you've got the courtside bar. So there's going to be other things I think to try to distract the fans. But uh, the bottom line is that the play on the court is going to leave a lot to be desired. What you hope to see, though is like you said, some of those younger players just get better over the course of the season, take their lumps this year, but get some some valued experience as well. Well, thankfully, Atlanta has a lot of other great sports teams right now. Like the Braves are doing well. They're in the – oh, no, they're gone. Um, The Falcons – nope, not doing great either. Like it's uh, it's suddenly like, oh, God, uh, Tata might leave Atlanta United. Miguel Almiron last year with him maybe. I don't know. It got really dooming gloomy. Very quickly, I feel like, in Atlanta. It, it turned very fast. Is that fair? I think it's very fair. I think you've got Georgia now, and you're even concerned about them, at least the diehard Georgia fans. It's rich people problems. We've talked about it because they're still winning going away in the fourth quarter, but there's still some questions about them, and, and we'll see if they can answer some of those questions this week at LSU and then following the bye week. We know that they got the cocktail party against Florida, and then – that trip to Kentucky and then Auburn comes here. So it's, 
it's going to be quite the four-game stretch for Georgia. But the Falcons, I don't know what's going on with them. I know they have injuries, but you have to, as a coaching staff, try to make some adjustments for the Steelers to open the game the way they did, go back to the Bengals game, go back to the Saints game. I mean, for the teams to just go up and down the field like that, to me, something's missing there. And to me, it goes well beyond the injuries. Now, with Atlanta United, again, where there's smoke, there's fire. Tata keeps saying he's not going anywhere, but there's enough rumors that are making the rounds right now. And if one of these international teams offers him a lot of money, who knows? Who's to say he doesn't leave? You're right. There is a lot of doom and gloom right now. But one way to look at it is there's there's really no place to go but up for a lot of these teams. I need to ask you because there are certain people in Atlanta that uh, are very much opposed to the idea. If they, It can't happen, and we should preface all of this with, the Braves are not going to sign Bryce Harper. But if it was an option and he was like, you know what, I want to go play for the NLE's favorite next year. I would sign a five-year deal with the Braves to play right field and replace Nick Markakis. I'm kind of stunned to see a lot of people. Like, there's this sentiment that he had a bad year, and it's not true. I don't know where this came from. He had a little bit of struggles early in the summer, but if you look at his numbers across the board, like, he wasn't bad. He was still really good. He just wasn't MVP good. He's still one of the 10 best players in the NL. And adding him would be a huge upgrade. And putting him in the outfield with Acuna and Ender Enciarte, even if he's not in the long-term place. But there's just, like, just the idea that people will be like, no, we don't want Bryce Harper is unbelievable to me. Where are you at with Bryce Harper if he were ever to consider the Braves and the Braves were willing to actually spend and go after someone like him this winter? Like, where do you where do you stand with that? And where do you stand with the idea that, like, they shouldn't go after somebody like Bryce Harper? I think you would be foolish not to go after a guy like Bryce Harper. You can plug him into the middle of your lineup. You can put him in right field, and you don't have to worry about a thing. It makes perfect sense to me. And look, if Dennis Rodman can leave the Pistons where he fought with Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and play for the Bulls, if Brett Favre can leave the Green Bay Packers and play for the Minnesota Vikings, to me, anything's possible at that point. And certainly everybody's going to think about his time in a Nationals uniform. If he comes here and he produces and he helps the Braves win, everybody will be on the side of Bryce Harper, even the people that right now are dead set against it. I'm not calling them liars because I think they actually do believe it right now. But again, if he puts that uniform on and he produces, I don't think anybody's going to have an issue with Bryce Harper in a Braves uniform. How How can you have an issue with a guy that, as you said, A lot of people are saying it was a down year. And yes, the batting average wasn't where he wanted it to be. But in the end, the numbers truly did speak for themselves. And he and Freddie Freeman are pretty tight, too. Freddie may be campaigning a little bit behind the scenes. Who knows? There you go. Take some of the spotlight off Freddie for his late season struggles. There you go. Mm -hmm. Makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a no-brainer. It's not going to happen. And it's just one of those food for thoughts kind of things. But um, Mm -hmm. just... I, that reaction to just whether or not they should, the negative reaction just kind of really baffled me. But, um, you know, the most interesting thing right now, and we, we you touched on the Steelers and the Falcons briefly, and I, it's funny because that first drive, and you, you mentioned this, and I thought that was like the tone setter where it's like James Conner touched the ball on, on most every single play in that opening drive where they went down, scored the touchdown, everything, and it was like, oh, no, the Falcons have to 
they have to respond and they didn't and they punted and then the Steelers were up 13 nothing and it was like oh god this defense really can't stop and I'm like why are you punting because I think that first drive they got to like the Steelers 40 something I want to say I want to say the drive was close and I was like I don't know if you can punt anymore like the Falcons are at that point where if you're midfield or even close to midfield no matter if it's fourth and 20 you have to go for it because this defense really can't stop anybody Jordan Richards uh, just awful like in my notes I have just Jordan Richards Duke Riley with one of the worst pass interference calls like he got a 38 yard penalty to put the Steelers in the red zone um got stiff armed by I think it was James Carner at one point um and it wasn't like the Steelers played all that well. Like Antonio Brown, I think has 60 something targets this year. And I think he's only reeled in 35. So big Ben has overthrown Antonio Brown a lot. He's missed him a lot. He still has Juju. who's was his second leading guy, but it was mostly Vance McDonald and James Conner on checkdowns and little easy dump offs and just little things. It wasn't like they were doing all that much. And the Steelers looked all that impressive. It was just, Oh my God, the, the Falcons really just can't stop anybody. And like you said, at some point, like every team deals with injuries and Daniel Jeremiah on the Move the Sticks podcast talked about it this week where it was like, but you still have to adjust. Like there, every team deals with this attrition issue. Like it, there's still no excuse for this defense being as bad as it is, even with Deion Jones going out, even with Keanu Neal and guys like that. But like they still have Marcus Trufant. They still have guys around this. Vic Beasley should be playing better. Tack McKinley was a no-show this week. Maybe it's because he was injured, but you know what? Like he didn't do what he did the prior week. So you go up and down the list and you're like, just a bunch of guys are underperforming. And even when good things happen, like Isaiah Oliver had a great pass breakup in the end zone at one point on Antonio Brown and then got a touchdown on him like right after that. So it's like, Oh God, well, welcome to the league. But I just, I don't know. I don't know if I buy the attrition stuff with the Falcons. And that is just, if they were healthy, this would be an elite defense. I still think that there are real concerns and problems that, it far exceed just the whole injury argument. Well, I mean, you brought up the Vic Beasley deal on the second drive prior to that Duke Riley pass interference. It was a third and six. Ben Roethlisberger threw an incomplete pass and Vic Beasley was offside. So instead of a fourth right. and six, third and one, they were able to convert a couple of plays later. The pass interference call is against Duke Riley. Next thing you know, they go 90 plus yards and score. When you're having problems, when you have injury problems on a defense, you can ill afford to shoot yourself in the foot like that. Was it a questionable call on Duke Riley? Maybe. But again, they should have been off the field already prior to that. Guys like Vic Beasley have to show up. And Tack McKinley, when he's out there, he's a very good player. My fear is this. With Tack McKinley, we talk about injuries. It seems like it's always going to be something with Tack McKinley. It was cramping last week it was his groin prior to that both shoulders have been injured already when he's healthy he's a fantastic player but can we count on Tack McKinley being out there each and every week and he's going to need to be out there and Vic Beasley is going to need to play like that guy that he was for that stretch when they went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago because you cannot let a quarterback let alone a guy like Ben Roethlisberger stand back there all day he's going to pick you apart if you're healthy he's going to pick you apart let alone if you're banged up what was your favorite Tevin Coleman halfback dive for two yards up the middle play from this past Sunday? <laughs> yeah, they did stay committed to the run, did they not? Now mm-hmm. Devontae Freeman, he went from a bruised knee to a bruised foot. And who knows if he's going to be able to play this week. I'm worried about Alex Mack, too. He's been bowled over at the line of scrimmage a couple of times. I mean, what Cameron Hayward did to him mm-hmm. in that game, he looked like a high school center at that point. And we know yeah. he's one of the better centers in the NFL. And I don't know if he's too worried about Wes Schweitzer now playing 
on the left side. I don't know what the deal is, but he clearly hasn't been the same player this year, Alex Mack. Well, I think what you should definitely keep doing is targeting Austin Hooper 10 times in the first half and Julio Jones <laughs> once or twice. I think that's definitely something that you should keep doing if you're Steve Sarkeesian. And those like halfback, uh, or not even halfback, those little uh, end arounds to Calvin Ridley that have never gone for more than a yard, love those. Love that they work that into the scheme once a week. Great stuff there. Yeah. Muhammad Sanu and the Wildcat, too. I, I think when oh, you God. have all of these weapons, you, you can ill afford to get cute. There's just no reason to get cute. You, you just have to go with your strengths. To me, look, football is a basic game. It, it's an easy game that I think coaches a lot of times make a lot more complicated because mm-hmm. they want to out-scheme you. And then when they try to out-scheme you, a lot of times they just end up out-thinking themselves. And I think that at times – Every coordinator has fallen prey to that. And I think Sark, after doing very well for a three-game stretch, he fell prey to that, I think, last week against Pittsburgh. They're better in the red zone, and we have to give them credit for that. They they have no problem moving the ball. The offensive line isn't what it was a year ago. Ryan doesn't have as much time. And it turns out when a quarterback is pressured, their quarterback rating goes down. That That's a thing that happened. So Matt Ryan was a little rattled, but like he's still been just a top-ten quarterback this year. But, like just the targets and you saw like in the fourth quarter when Matt Ryan was like okay I've really got to go to Julio now and just pin like even if he goes after him and they're doubling and everything else it was I just in my notepad 15 yards first down 15 yards first down like it was just there is something we said about just being like you know what we have one of the top three best uh, wide receivers in football we're gonna have to target him a bunch to stay in this game you can't yeah, do kind of the stuff that they're doing. Just like I understand in a vacuum, you want to throw you. You definitely want to move the ball around. Like Mohamed Sanu, Mister Yak himself. Like you have to have him get involved, and it's great to get him on those curl routes and everything else because he's so good after the catch, and he can just explode. And he had that great touchdown run, all that kind of stuff. Um, you have Ridley downfield, who's just a mastermind on those outward slants and everything else. But like at some point, you have to go. Okay, our defense sucks. And our offense just really needs to score points to stay in this game. Um, Tevin Coleman, no more runs at the middle. Ridley, no more end arounds. We're just tar- we have to target Julio Jones at least like, once every three plays at the very least. I think that you, again, have to sometimes throw Julio Jones open. I think you have to make that attempt to do that. You're absolutely right. And I don't know, maybe the Steelers were playing a little bit softer because the game was seemingly in control, but it really wasn't in the fourth quarter until really late right. after after Ryan fumbled when mm-hmm. Ryan Schrader, again, I don't know what's going on with him either. I don't know if you saw the quote from him this week. He said, at times, after watching the game on film, I was lackadaisical coming out of my stance at times. To me, that's mind-boggling <laughs> to hear an NFL player say yeah. that. Mind-boggling to hear high school kids say that, let alone an NFL player. So I, something is amiss with this team. I can't I can't pinpoint what it is, but I think it's too easy just to say, well, it's injuries. It goes beyond injuries this year. Is the season salvageable, or do you think that they are just getting ready for the draft? Is, is, where are we at? Well, crazier things have happened, but based on what we've seen from this defense, I just don't know how you can salvage anything. And, you know, Tampa's coming to town now, and Jameis Winston has a history of playing well against the Falcons. I, I just don't know how they're going to slow down what Tampa's putting out there. I don't know how they're going to slow down anybody at this point. So I, I just, I want to say it is, but as of right now, I, I've, I've got to say no. I hate to say that, but that's the way it seems. This division's too good. Like, that's their other problem. They're not playing in the NFC East. If they were in the NFC East, I'd be like, yeah, they could probably still salvage this. But the Panthers and the Saints are too good, and they're playing too well 
that I just don't see both of them really stumbling down, barring significant injuries to like Cam or Drew Brees. I just, I don't see a way that they falter down the stretch. So yeah, I I think the season's over for them. And I think it's going to be a really, really interesting off season for the Falcons because they spent a lot of money. They just paid Matt Ryan. They bet on their depth. And that's all we heard this off season was the amount of depth that this team had. And they were the most talented roster in football. They definitely have the best three receiver tandem in the NFL right now. And this is just, I I don't know how you sell this to the fan base. I I think it's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting off season for the Falcons. And it also, you know what, Nick, I, I don't think paying Devonte Freeman was the best move. Starting to feel a little. Uh, feel I'm not feeling great about it, to be honest. Listen, you're preaching to the choir. Yeah. I said it following the Super Bowl, and it's not revisionist history. It's it's not Monday morning quarterback. And I respect Devonte Freeman. I, I think he's a heck of a player. I think he's got guts. I think he's a guy that plays bigger than he is. But the bottom line is, he's not bigger than he is. And with his style, guys like that get hurt. Case mm-hmm. in point. When he's healthy, he plays very well, but you cannot invest that kind of money in a smaller running back because the shelf life for a guy like Devontae Freeman, I don't think is very long in this league. And if he's going to play in this league a long time, he's not going to be the guy we saw for a two-year run. I I just didn't agree with it then, and obviously I agree with it even less now. I I think that now they're going to have a huge problem because of that signing. I think it's really going to come back to haunt them. If you're Alex Anthopoulos, how would you approach this offseason for the Braves? I think you need to help out the bullpen. I, you know, I don't know what Craig Kimbrell's going to be asking for, but I, I think you definitely start having conversations as soon as the Red Sox, their season is done with the people representing Craig Kimbrell to see if he wants to come back home. I, I think that you have to have a bona fide starter, a true veteran starter. Again, I don't know what the Giants are willing to do when it comes to Madison Baumgartner, but I would love to see him come here and be a stabilizing force with the staff as far as the starters are concerned. And obviously, Nick Marcakis, you praise him for what he did, but he ran out of gas in the second half of the season. And unless he wants to come back and be a guy that plays here and there, which I don't think he's going to want to be, I think you've seen the last of him. I think you need a true power hitter in the middle of this lineup. So much easier said than done, but those are the three areas that I'd be looking at if I were Alex Anthopoulos. It's going to be interesting because they're ahead of schedule and they're kind of in that brewer zone where, I mean, that's a good place to be as we uh, see the brewers are now in the NLDS, but they're going to have to make some tough choices. Like, do we stick with the plan or do we expedite this and move some guys for some guys who can help us right now? And, um, the Phillies are the other, the other interesting wild card here because I just they have the money to spend and they've shown that they will spend the money and that their rebuild has not gone to plan. And if it comes down to a bidding war for some of these big time free agents, the Braves are not outbidding the Phillies. Like if the Phillies wanted to go after Manny Machado and Bryce Harper this winter, they can do both. They could end up with both, and I'm not ruling it out. I think they're getting one of the two at the very least. And if that happens, I mean the NL East gets even more interesting going into next year. But I just, I think people are sleeping in the Phillies a little bit too much. I mean, they had that awful stretch um, for the last couple months of the season, but I think they're a team that's now just sitting there kind of near the Braves, but we know that they're going to spend. And I'm not convinced that the Braves are willing to go after some of the high price free agents, especially in right field guys that they can plug in there. Um, Maybe they'll have to get 
I think the Braves' best option is probably parting with some of these pitching prospects for some other disgruntled star on a small market team. I think that's what they'll have to do is Alex Anthopoulos will have to um, be a, bit, a little bit more creative in how he handles this offseason because I think the Phillies can just open up the checkbook. They have a lot of ex-Orioles guys in that front office. They can talk to Machado. Like It would not surprise me if they ended up with him and then Bryce Harper, you know. It, that just wouldn't be a big shocker either because Mike Trout's sitting there. And if he thinks that Mike Trout's coming in a couple of years because he's the hometown kid, which doesn't seem that unlikely because it doesn't look like he's re-signing in Los Angeles once his contract's up, like that they're just the sleeping giant that I think Braves fans need to be. Uh, like the jokes were funny this year <laughs> with uh, their failure down the stretch, but I would just, I would be a little hesitant to rule out the Phillies over the next couple of years. That's all I'm saying. Well, a couple of things. I hope if, you're a Braves fan. You agree with me. I want Gabe Kapler to stay there forever because I don't know what he's doing time to time in games. But as far as the Brewers analogy, I think that's a fair analogy, Chase, that you made. I think, you know, they went out there and they were close last year and they were a game out when it came to making it into the postseason. They went out there and they got Christian Yelich. And during the season, they got Moustakis. Mm-hmm. They weren't afraid to make moves. They weren't afraid to be aggressive. And I, I know that the plan is ahead of schedule. But I think now you have to maximize every opportunity that you have. And if you have the chance to get a guy that's going to solidify the middle of this lineup, if you get a true closer, I think you have to make those moves if you're Alex Anthopoulos because you're not, you're right with the Phillies. You're not guaranteed anything. They're going to spend money. And just because it ended bad, that doesn't mean they're going to give up and throw in the towel and, and figure they're not going to make any noise because this division really could be up for grabs this yeah. upcoming year. And then the Nationals are the other wild card. Who knows? We yep. don't know what they're going to do. But I, I will say, I feel like people in Atlanta don't realize that Juan Soto was really, really good and had one of the best 19-year-old seasons of all time. Like, if you look at the kind of season that he had at 19, all Hall of Famers around him. Like, it's he went really under the radar because Acuna is awesome. But I will say, Juan Soto is like, just he is another budding superstar. So even if they lose Bryce Harper, they're not going anywhere. They still have Anthony Rendon. They still have a lot of talent around um, that group. So I, I don't know. I think the Nationals will hang around and then the Mets and the Marlins are just kind of in bad shape for the next couple of years at, at least. Um, last thing, and then we'll go. Brian Snicker, is he back as manager for the Braves next year? I would be shocked if he's not back, to hear the players and the way they talk about him. And I think he really won over Alex Anthopoulos. I think he won over everybody in this organization. Now, the length of the deal, that's probably a different question. Uh, Some have said three years. I I think he's going to get a two-year deal with an option for a third, but I do think he's coming back this year. And I think he's earned the right to come back. A lot of people have questioned some of his strategy in games and And I get it. Some of the pitching changes or non-pitching changes that he made over the course of this year and even beyond that, certainly he opened himself up for scrutiny. But the bottom line is they shocked everybody this year. They won this division going away. And again, to hear the players, the way they talked about him after they were bounced out by the Dodgers, to me, that was that was the uh, the icing on the cake. I I would be shocked again if he didn't get a two year deal with an option for a third. That's that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't think he's going anywhere, but I also think there's a reason that Ron Washington and Walt Weiss are on this staff right now. Which oh, is Oh yeah, no if, question. Uh, don't sleep on Eric Young. Eric yeah, Young and Eric Young too, too, right. It's a great so, staff. It really is. So, and I think that's kind of, you know, 
killing two birds with one stone. Brian Snicker is the lifelong Braves guy. If it doesn't work out, there's a bunch of ex-managers and talent around him that could step in and become um, the manager. I just, I, I would keep an eye on that. I think there is something yep. to uh, stacking the staff like that. Good point. I, I agree. And, and this staff, top to bottom, I, I think they're as good as anybody in baseball. And again, I like all of the guys too. So maybe it's, it's a little bit personal for me, but you're working with young players. And I, I love the way that these guys, baseball lifers, like they are, they embrace the analytics side of things. And, you know, a lot of guys that have been in this game for so long, were not willing to do that. So kudos to them for adjusting on the fly as well with Alex Anthopoulos and, and what he brought in this year. Yeah. Well, good things are coming with the Braves. Like it's, it's going to be good times. Ronald Acuna is a superstar. Mike Boltnevich figured it out, even though the rough outing and all that kind of stuff. Ozzy Albies, maybe he'll bounce back. You know, there's still a lot of reason for optimism in Braves country, I think, at the very least. Falcons, uh, I think we're both out. I think, <laughs> bad news. Yeah. I think we're out. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. All right, Nick. Well, this has been great. I appreciate you taking the time, as always. Um, we can find you on Twitter at Chalini Nick. We can listen to you Monday through Friday on 680 The Fan, where you host Nick and Chris from nine to noon um today is thursday so you can tune in tomorrow and if you're listening to this tomorrow then you might be listening it just in time to listen to nick and chris um anything exciting going on tomorrow on the pod tomorrow we're going to be at uh, loyal q in uh, east cobb on lower roswell road so if you want to come by and, uh, and grab some lunch somebody somebody's going to win free lunch we're going to give free lunch to a table there it's the, uh, we call it the Chris Domino Lunch Bunch. So if you want to come by, if you're in the area, in East Cod, come on by and grab some lunch and uh, you know, we'll talk some baseball. We'll essentially do Chase what uh, you and I just did and we'll just do it over beers and some barbecue. Perfect. Well, go do that. Um, but I really appreciate it as always, Nick. And uh, have a great weekend, sir. Thanks, Chase. Same to you anytime. Right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am joined now by James Hollis. You may know him as Tweak Good Mac, Snotty Drippin', a lot of nicknames, but uh, he's one of my favorite guests to have on the podcast, and he's back tonight to talk a little NBA. James, good evening. How are you? Oh, I never remember. Is this a PG-13 pod, or is this an R-rated pod? Uh, ooh, well, PG, uh, I I haven't really thought about it, but I mean, I have the parental advisory warning on my podcast. So, I mean, the question is like, can I give you some of my other nicknames that might, you know, do you have to bleep them out or should I just not say them? I don't, I don't know where you're going with this. So I'm like the fact that you're, you're kind of concerned about whether or not to say it on the podcast makes me concerned because so I, won't, I, think I won't just be, it. yeah, I won't okay. say it. it's curse words. <laughs> it's absolutely curse words. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Anything goes, I guess maybe. No, I don't no. know. I, I'll keep it PG since you you're being you're being milk toast. Oh, yeah. yeah that, look, look. Some podcasts allow you to be yourself. Some some of your podcasts, so it's fine either way. I didn't. This is not me at all. I, I you always do this to me, James. Where I feel like the curmudgeon on this podcast all the time. You, I, I don't know. I enjoy it because I rarely have this dynamic in my conversations with people. Look, you like censorship. Okay, you like being, you know, you like fascism. You like putting the hammer down and not letting people be themselves. I get it. You're Tom Thibodeau. I get it. Oh, wow. That's a first. I don't think I've gotten Tom Thibodeau before. So you're Jimmy Butler in this analogy? Uh, either that or maybe I'm, I'm probably, I think I'm Jimmy Butler, but I'm probably more like Wiggins. You know, okay. I think 
I'm paid like a star. Well, I'm not even paid like a star, but I think I'm a star, but I'm really like a scrub. So either way. Do you think Wiggins is a scrub? He's not a scrub. Um, I think that under the right tutelage. So this is where it's almost like nature versus nurture. You said, mm-hmm. let's say you, you'd given Coach Pop rookie Andrew Wiggins. I think you'd have a really good basketball player right now. Yeah. Um, instead, he was kind of, you know, came up kind of old school with first, I think, Sam Mitchell. And then mm-hmm. like, Kevin McHale, I think, had his time in there. Not, well, not even Sam Mitchell. I think it's Kevin McHale or whatever. And that's old school coaching. And that was, you know, obviously he's old, he, he plays like an old school player now. Um, Tibbs, old school offensive coach, and and they're not utilizing him. They're not putting him in his best position to to succeed. They're not. He, they're not. He's not developing the right habits, and not we see what happens. We see it. That's why he's you know, he's basically like a poor man's uh, Demar Derozan, and that's not that's not great in today's NBA. No. Um, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before Toronto fans yell at me, or Toronto and Derozan stands yell at me. Derozan is so good. He's never like he has to optimize that kind of high volume, low efficiency shot because he makes them at a high rate. And like he's that's what I'm saying. To be a poor man is DeRozan to be a not good basketball player. DeRozan's a good basketball player. Well, I think it's the Westbrook thing, too, where it's like you have to if you're not going to be a great three point shooter, you have to be really, really elite at something else. And Wiggins is not elite at anything yet. He he can shoot, but he doesn't shoot threes. He does that foot inside the line thing all the time. He loves long twos. That stuff can be corrected, I feel like, still, because he's still so young. But you know what's not going to help correcting any of this? Jimmy Butler yelling at him and uh, destroying any remaining confidence he had as the guy on this team. Yeah, that's uh, this Jimmy Butler saga is getting weirder and weirder. Uh, today, there was the story of the team meeting. Then Teague said there's not. Then Jimmy Butler says there was. So... I have never in my no. This is one of the, probably the oddest stories I've almost ever witnessed in the NBA. You know, so um, I, I again, I feel like we just forgot like the summer with uh, DeAndre Jordan with Dallas and everything that went on there. That was pretty crazy. Like we just forget because this the way the NBA works now is that like there's just something new that pops up all the time. Like we just forget because it's like so many other insane things have already happened since the last insane thing. Yeah, but I mean, like, even the, even so, this is not DeAndre. DeAndre was at least a free agent, and you know yeah. that was that was dramatic and stupid. This guy is under contract, and yep. he like not only we find out about the trade demand, and then he comes out and says, "Oh no, four four days after the season, I demanded a trade." And I've been saying the whole thing all week, all you know, all summer. Then he came out that he like he promised them, "Well, if you don't trade me, I'm gonna I'm gonna become I'm gonna be a distraction." And he's he's true to form; he's being a distraction. The owner is saying, oh, yeah, we got to get rid of him. The GM slash coach is saying, well, no. And he's 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 like gumming up the works. This is definitely one of the oddest, you know, as far as, yeah, one of the oddest, like laughable situations I've ever seen. I, of course, we've had you know, more serious incident, uh, incidents in the NBA. I'm not talking about those. This is just one of the most oddball like circuses I've ever seen as far as, you know, free agency, a guy want to be traded, all that stuff. So. I just don't really understand what turned for Jimmy because he can still be a free agent this summer. Like he can still win 55 games with this Timberwolves team. He can be a top, like, cause this team was good when he was healthy. Like when he went down in January, February and missed time that dropped them from the top four in the West to barely a playoff team. Yeah, he I did. I did the math. I think there were like a, like a, maybe a 65% winning team with him, which is really good. You know, and then without him, they, you know, there were a sub 500 team. So it's like, yeah, I, absolutely. He's absolutely right. And the, like the numbers bear it out, you know, his, his net plus minus his, 
his rap him, all that stuff, you know, his defensive rap him. It bears out that when he's on the court, they are definitely a, a, a high, like a at least mid slash high level playoff team. When he's off the court, they're a lottery team. Absolutely. Yeah. And he knows that he's going about it the weirdest way possible, but it it just doesn't make any sense to me because he can still sign with the Clippers if that's where he wants to go, or Brooklyn, or New York, or whoever next summer. What is okay? Well, you know what it is. Those teams are gonna be bad this year. Here's the thing. Jimmy Butler is how old now? You know how old he is? 29. Okay. He doesn't want to waste a year of his of his basically. It's not wasting, right? It absolutely is wasting because they're not Why? beating because they're not beating Golden State. They're not beating uh Houston. And mm-hmm. and he you know, he again, if he feels that the guys on his team aren't as dedicated as he is, then he's like, Why am I wasting my time? Why am I gonna come out here and compete every night the way I compete? And I know that Carl Anthony Towns wants his numbers. He's not saying names, but you know this is the word. When he knows that Wiggins is not working as hard as he can, he's like, "Why?" So why am I going to come out here and, and, and break my back if I know the rest of the team's not doing that? And I think I was. Did you watch the interview with Rachel Nichols? Of course you did. Yep. Right. That's a big part of what he was saying. It's like hold each other, like basically hold each other accountable, speak up. You know, and he's, and he's like, "I'm not saying any names, but you know, I just want to win." If I can look at my teammate and say, "Are you doing this because you want to win?" and they can't give me that answer what's going on so it seems like he doesn't trust his teammates especially you know seems like calling the towns and wiggins it also seems like the front office and i don't know i i, I meant to do research about this today because i knew we'd be talking about this i think they offered him 110 million this summer and i guess mm-hmm. he he is that the max they could offer him uh i don't have the numbers in front of me but that sounds right see and I maybe he wanted a promise of, hey man, if you stay next summer, we're gonna give you your your full shebang. He, I don't think what- he ever wanted to stay. Like I think that was part of the deal too when he got traded to Minnesota. Like this was always going to be an experiment for him, just because he liked Tibbs and was going to help him out to jumpstart this rebuild because of what this team is going through. Um, once they hired him and brought him on, like he knew he would have a coach that like basically turned him into the star that he is, and he just threw him a bone. But then he just realized, oh, I hate playing with. <laughs> young guys who are supposed to be superstars that aren't like he just doesn't he's one of those guys and i think some people are just wired like this where it's like the kobe thing where they they work really hard they bust their ass they're top 10 players but they also don't really relate well to other stars who are quote-unquote stars that don't aren't wired the same way you know what i mean where like i don't know if i necessarily believe that carl anthony towns and andrew wiggins aren't working really hard to get better like i think maybe it's just the fact that they're both introverts and aren't just like dominant personality types like jimmy butler where he's just used to this kind of style with tibbs and that bulls team with all those different guys with joakim noah Derek rose and all those other guys where it's just like maybe he just doesn't know how to relate and just miss reads and misunderstands who Andrew Wiggins and Carl I'll say this. are? I, I, when when Tibbs became the coach of the Timberwolves, before Jim Bell even thought about going there, my question was, we saw Thibodeau step into a team that was already a playoff team, and even though they were really young, and sure, Jimmy Butler turned into this guy you know, under Thibodeau, we don't know how he develops. I think like mm-hmm. Noah was Noah was already like you know third year in. Rose was already like I mean, an all-star into an MVP candidate. I think he deserves a lot of credit for what no, he, no, 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 no. Who Noah? No, I'm not going to give him credit for that. My point is he took okay. already he took already a team that was in playoffs, and yes, he made them better and instilled hard work into them. Tibbs' answer to everything is work harder. Um, I don't know if you remember when uh, the Bulls coach. Not Floyd. What's his name? Uh, Fred, Ho- Fred Hoiberg. 
Hoiberg. And Hoiberg yeah. took over, uh, like, one of the things that was, you know, was kind of said about, he realized, and this is, I guess, from the front office, and he, there's guys, they, they could run a play if he's a script, but as far as read and react, they couldn't, like, understand basketball. And that's what, like, you know, Tibbs, is, he, he runs a rote offense instead of a read and react kind of motion offense where guys make decisions. And and I was wondering, I was like, hey, man, he took over this good team. That's great. I, I said, I was curious to see how he develops young guys. The, like, you know, hey, Carlton Towns, blank slate. Wiggins, still a blank slate. Can he develop them along the lines, you know, to be good players? And I, I haven't, they're, they're developing naturally, you know, especially Carlton Towns. I think he's naturally, as time gets on, gameplay, he's getting better. Uh, Wiggins, you know, the numbers look good, but they weren't getting better. And I think this is my worst, my worst fear confirmed that, He's not a developmental coach. Some people, some people are not developmental coaches, and, and I don't think he's a developmental coach. I, I think, again, you give Wiggins to a guy like Brad Stevens as a rookie, I think it turns out differently. You give him, you give him to a guy like Pop, or even um, I can't think of another coach. Maybe Doc Rivers. I don't know, but some guys can develop and bring the best out of young players and hone them. I don't think he's doing that with Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, and and it's I think it kind of shows. So. Um, with Butler, also, I think it became a power struggle. Calling the Towns is going to be the face of this franchise for years to come, right? Uh, look, Butler made the trade demand, and, and he didn't show up for stuff, and Calling the Towns signs his deal immediately. I think it became maybe that, you know, it was a butting heads thing. Butler wants to be the face of that franchise. Butler wants this to be his team, while the ownership management say, no, Calling the Towns, is, that's, he's the future. He's going to be the face of this team. You know what this reminds me of? I don't know if you remember this. Dame, Dame, Dame and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge had the same kind of thing. Yeah. You know, where, sure, LaMarcus was the established vet. He, he was the probably the, you know, he was the best player. He was the holdover from the Brandon Roy, yeah, uh, Andre Miller, Nicholas Batum, Greg 23 point per game scorer, vet, yeah. you know, township. And, and even though he's he's not that kind of personality, he, he resented the fact that Brandon Roy became the face of that team. I'm not Brandon Roy, I'm sorry. Dame, Dame became the face of that team. Yeah, and that thought was, he was next after Roy left. Yeah, he was, they, they told him that. And then, you know, everyone kind of fell in love with Dame and Dame's personality. And LaMarcus just wasn't that kind of guy, but he didn't like it. So he, it, I, this reminds me of that where, except in this case, Butler is better than Jimmy, than Cat right now. He is. He's a better, he's a more impactful. Oh, 100%, guy. yeah. But the franchise and, and the numbers and, you know, the popularity goes to Quantity Towns. And Butler, I think, doesn't like that. So I, I think, think it's um, weird, though, because like he's going about this. The like I think everybody would agree with that. It's just he's he's starting these fires, and I don't. So yeah. the difference, and I've heard, seen this comparison a couple times of like Earl Thomas, Le'Veon Bell, and I'm like, this is very very different. Like Le'Veon Bell doesn't have a contract right now. That's a different thing. Earl Thomas like wanted to get paid, and he has deserved to get paid and getting this extension because he's really not that old for a safety and he knew this was coming and this kind of injury was on the table and everything else like that's a different situation like jimmy butler signed this contract he pushed his way to minnesota like he's going about all this like i don't see what any of this accomplishes unless he gets sent to the right team and he's happier but like i don't know man i just i think we've gone too far the other way where it's just like blind loyalty or blind like oh superstar athlete or that just is kind of a dick is just like always celebrated and i don't know if i'm okay with this kind of shift where we just blindly support dudes just like just self-combusting on teams and just kind of like just causing this like i don't even know what to describe what's going on in minnesota but it's just i don't know how you can defend the way jimmy butler is going about 
getting moved and everything else. I, I don't know if there's a, a real thing to say there that would sway me to being like, you know what? Jimmy Butler has handled this like just a great work all around from Jimmy Butler here. You know what? This is it seems like it's a situation that requires a scalpel and a chisel, and he's coming out with a sledgehammer. Yep. And is is he right? Probably not. Like I wouldn't do it this way, but at the same time, you're talking about multi-million dollar athletes. Uh, their career and brand means a lot to them. And this shows the difference between the NBA and the NFL and all the other sports, yeah. all the sports, actually. And this is this is a sign of a good, a really good, strong union that they have, because mm-hmm. with no other league could a guy do this. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, um, unless you're like a quarterback in the NFL, like Eli Manning just being like, I'm not playing for the Chargers was a power move. Like you just drafted me. I'm like, no, 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 I'm literally not playing for you. It's cool that you drafted me, but uh, I'm not staying in San Diego. Um, so that's basically the closest. Would you do? Because I still think the best move for Jimmy Butler is Toronto. I still think if, because to get what Tibbs wants is a veteran who can play. And I think the way you go about this is like, okay, Kyle Lowry did not return calls from Nick Nurse and uh, Masai Ujiri this summer. Oh. I think you do Jeff Teague, Jimmy Butler to uh, Toronto for Kyle Lowry and a couple of their young pieces like Norman Powell, who's fallen out of the rotation and maybe a couple other guys. But I think that's their best deal, right? Because I don't really love the Miami offer, especially like if Miami's not willing to go up Josh Richardson, which it doesn't seem like they are. I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to get a better offer. Uh, so here's the here's the thing, man. Um, Wouldn't you want to see Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard on the same team for a year? Yeah, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just, like you said, I'm kind of soured on Jimmy Butler's whole thing. Sure, that'd be a great duel. And, you know, I think... Uh, you know. they want to play together by all accounts. They've thought about teaming up next summer. Like those two dudes, like, can you imagine how much of a pain it would be to play OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Jimmy Butler, and just like, what? That would be the biggest pain in the ass. Absolutely. Um, so I guess my thing is just, again, like for Toronto, that's a great deal. Uh, because that's just going to, Either they sign them both, sign them, sign one of them, and they keep on building, or they can just blow it up, right? If if both decide to leave, no big deal. Yep. They can pivot really easily. As far as Miami, um, you're taking that gamble, and and you know, if he wants to be there, and you know, he wants to be your centerpiece, then you do it. I get it. I like Josh Richardson. He's going to be a really good player. People are saying he can make a quote unquote Kawhi type jump or whatever, or Paul George. Uh, I'm not, there. I'm not either. Not a, he's really good. He's yeah. going to be a good, you know, secondary type player. I don't think he's ever going to be a focal point kind of type of guy. And that's, that's fine. Yeah. He's, he's really good, but if you, he's Chris Middleton. Uh, yeah. And, but if Jimmy Butler's saying, Hey man, I want to come there and you trade for me, I'll, I'm going to resign next summer. Now, are you, are you, maybe are they not comfortable giving Jimmy Butler $160 million next summer? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. He's been road hard, put away wet. He's um I think he's played less than sixty seven games, sixty seven games or less in three of his last four seasons. Um, you know the Tibbs effect seems to be a real thing where he kind of he rides guys hard and, and you know they start maybe breaking down and he's twenty nine. It's not young, you know. Five years. You know who's not going to do any of that? Nick Nurse in Toronto, playing next to Kawhi Leonard and OG Ananobi. Yeah. He's not going to wear down. I get it. I mean, yeah, and, and you know they need he'd be. So what's the trade again for in Toronto? 
Well, Kyle Lowry is going to have to be included, yeah. and you already know he's kind of annoyed. And I think he's the kind of guy. T- I mean, there was already rumors a couple years ago. Remember, where, like Kyle Lowry was like the Wolves. Kyle Lowry stuff was out there. Um, I think he's better than Jeff Teague. So if you switch him over, and then Jeff Teague might be a better point guard for Nick Nurse's kind of offense that he wants to run anyway. And then you can still be competitive if you're the Wolves. Like you're probably a playoff team if you get like Norman Powell and maybe CJ Miles or whoever to pair with Wiggins, Towns, Gibson, and. Lowry, I think Lowry, Wiggins, and Towns is enough to be a playoff team in the West. But um, I think ultimately it still sucks for Minnesota because they're going to drop off significantly. But I don't think it'll be far removed from what they were last year, which is like a bottom tier playoff team in the West. But um, they're kind of screwed either way because I cannot believe that they would actually like the Jimmy Butler stuff. Like if he's playing an opening night in Minnesota, it's it's must see TV now, right? Like we have to watch it if he actually suits up for them. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's become a circus. And I, again, uh, you know, we're beating, we're beating that dead horse into, into dog food, but the GM and coach just don't work. You can't do it anymore. You know, the door just can't work. Uh, Tibbs, maybe is he better off as as a, as a lead assistant and he can just, you know, he can run. I think this is it. I think he's at ESPN next year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we'll, it, it, like, it's it's amazing he hasn't been fired yet, and I guess it's because he's being paid so much money. You know, we know that the Minnesota ownership is not, you know, not, I guess they're kind of tight-fisted, so. Yeah. Sad days, because Minnesota Timberwolves fans are, they're great. I have a lot of Minnesota fans, so it sucks they have to deal with this. Um, Kyrie, how excited are you that he plans to re-sign with the Celtics next year? I'm pretty excited, man. Um, And here's the thing. I'm not, you know, things can change in a year. Things can definitely change in a year, yeah. so I'm not... I'm cautiously optimistic, but I feel that if if Boston could afford to lose any of their tops, and when I say afford, I mean long term, it, it would be Kyrie. He's great, but um, when you look at Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, I was going to say I thought you would say Jalen. No, I, mean, I, I love obviously is number one. But yeah, well, I see I see Horford. No, he's under contract. He's not going anywhere yeah. for another year or two. Well, if they draft uh, Zion Williamson, <laughs> number two overall next year. No, I, I think I think I can see Horford uh, either opting out and taking, you know, similar money, a little more money for longer years. You know what I mean? So I think he has opt out mm-hmm. next year of twenty eight million. If he opts out and says, you know, give me three years. 36 million, which I, I don't know. I, or I don't, I'm never good at these kind of things. Three years, 40 million, and with a player option after two, you know what I mean? Where he's making way less yearly, but he has more guaranteed. That'd be fine. I, you know, I can see Horford doing that. Um, as far as Kyrie's concerned, though, like he is a superstar scorer, but as far as long term, you know, Jalen is so young, Jason's so young, all these guys are so young, and you know, if, if Kyrie says, all right, I want to go somewhere else, it's not the end of the world as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned. because Jalen has to get paid. Jason has to get paid. Gordon's already paid for the next, you know, another. I was going to say, you haven't mentioned the one guy they haven't paid that been rumored to be interested in uh, signing to an extension. Terry oh, I think he's gone. Well, and here's the thing. If Kyrie goes, then they have they can say, OK, well, we're not, they're not going to pay Terry Rozier twenty eight million dollars a year. You can get you can get, yeah. you can get Rozier on a on a reasonable deal and then. Sure, he's not Kyrie at all, but then again, you have depth, you have talent, and you have another tradable piece if something comes up. So, Ainge, you got to tip your hat to Ainge because when you look at all this Jimmy Butler drama, I don't know if you remember, people were calling Ainge stupid for not trading Jalen Brown for Jimmy Butler, you know? And uh, sure, the Celtics, we all know they work hard. 
I don't think Jimmy Butler's personality, and I said this at the time, I don't think his personality fits with what Boston's trying to do. You know, yeah. so you know, kudos. well, it would hurt Jason Tatum's development. Like that's part of the reason that like he is as good as he is is that like he was able to do. I mean, it sucks that it happened with Hayward, but like there is something to be said about just not having somebody. Like that's the timeline issue, right? That which is the biggest roadblock with Minnesota is that Jimmy Butler is an established vet. Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins are just they have three to four more years before they get to that level and he's just frustrated because they're not anywhere close and I think Jimmy Butler would have been the same way with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and guys like that where it's like all right I'm here you guys aren't here we need to get here and you know you don't really have to do that especially when you had the kind of assets and the kind of riches that the Celtics already had so they didn't have to gamble like that so yeah I'm right there with you well and another thing is that you know the Celtics whole thing is about selflessness sharing the ball sharing the credit sharing the load and sure you know Kyrie's a superstar scorer but you know I I think we saw that he'll he kind of he he comes out he surveys the land and lets things go on then he scores when they kind of need him to Jimmy Butler what makes him great but also make him not fit in Boston he wants to be the guy. He wants to have the load on his shoulders. He wants to have the ball in his hands at crunch time. And that's just not what, what Boston is built like. And again, they're supposed to play with a certain free flowing like joy. And Jimmy Butler doesn't seem like he's, a lot of play. he's like, he's not a lot of fun to play with. So. Mm, yeah. Poor Jimmy. Um, I have to ask this because I immediately texted my friends right after the news broke. DeJounte Murray's out for the season. I think the Spurs are missing the playoffs for the first time in like just how many years it was. And it's kind of crazy, but I've already written them off. Am I crazy for writing off the Spurs as a playoff team in the West this year? Um, I understand why, but I still think you're kind of crazy because, I mean, Pop has two 20-point big game scores at his disposal. He, um, I mean, what's the kid's name they got from uh, Pirtle? Pirtle's supposed to be a talented young guy. Burgess can really shoot it and play. Um, sure, it's tough. I, I would. I just. Who are they starting at point? Is it Derek White? Probably, and still keep Patty Mills off the gym, off the bench. Look, man, I said this last year, right? Kawhi Leonard played nine games. I thought, yeah. I thought there was no way in hell this team. I said this Spurs team is going to be. They're going to be dead in the water. They weren't dead in the water. Like until, so, I get it, and I'm if. I want to be the smart guy in the room and say the same thing. And I'm not saying that you're doing it just to be a smart guy because a lot of people agree with you. A lot of a lot of real smart people agree with you. And I, look, you, Pop has two 20 point per game scores. He had all off season. Well, since he pulled, got the Marauders in, he had a full training camp to kind of you know figure out what offense they're going to run. They already don't shoot a lot of threes, so they're fine with that. Hey man, Pop's been a great coach for years. So let's see. You know, let's see who like yeah, especially on the bottom of the West. Who's good? Who's going to be seven, six, seven, eight in the West? Then, I mean, the Pelicans are right there. The Blazers, um, the Nuggets, who I think actually could get like five or four. I really do. And you got to remember, the I think it was what three through nine were separated by like two games last year in the West. So, I mean, I think it's going to be tight again. But you know, I think this would be more impressive this year if Pop actually got this team to the playoffs. In 2019, I think it'd be more impressive than getting into the playoffs in 2018. Oh, hands down, yeah. If this team gets into the playoffs, that's a that's definitely a better feat than from last season. Um, well, because the Lakers are in, so they're taking somebody's spot. And I don't see the Thunder moving, the Rockets moving. I don't see obviously the Warriors. Like you go up and down the list, like who's falling out? Like it's really the Wolves and the Spurs are and the Blazers. I guess it's really fighting for those remaining spots. If Butler's I'm if, not a if Butler's believer. gone, they're traded. 
If Butler's gone, they're, they're the Minnesota Wolves. Are they're out. Yeah, I would agree. Um, um, and the Nuggets are in. I think I would go ahead and pencil them in. Um, if they're, yeah, the if Blazers, they're healthy, who knows? you guys are healthy. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm just not worried about them. I, it's crazy that I just had the Nuggets penciled in at like a five seed. Uh, but I do. I'm a huge Nuggets. Player. I think. I mean, the same thing last year, and then Millsap missed a whole bunch of games, and they struggled. So. If if Mil- but I think Jamal Murray is a year older. If Millsap is a year if older. or Jokic miss significant time, they're going to struggle. So if healthy, yeah, I'm with you. They're going to be good. They're they're a good team. They're a great offensive team. They still have problems stopping anybody, which that's one of their issues, right? So they're going to they're going to score a lot. You're right, and I think they're comfortably in the playoffs if healthy. Do you know who's uh, not going to score a lot and not going to be in the playoffs? The Sacramento Kings. Oh yeah, yeah. God. That's that whiteboard shot of them, like their projected record at like what twenty nine fifty three or something. Just oh my god, it's so sad. Like I see the hype videos for De'Aaron Fox; he can shoot now, and I'm like, oh, oh, poor Kings fans. This is the season. It's like De'Aaron Fox is good. Look at him, and I'm like, yeah, I like him. He's fine. But you have nineteen bigs. Harry Giles is like, what? He's great, but like, what? Scalabca, Willie Cauley Stein, Zach Randolph was. One of their highest usage players last year. I mean, Josh, uh, Justin Jackson, not good. I, I don't know. It's Sacramento, man. Um, but yeah, man, this was great. I'm glad we were able to do this tonight. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for being so patient. Let me come on a little late. Um, I will say about. I will always make time for James Hollis to come on this. Podcast. I will say about the Kings. I really like uh, Fox. I think he's going to. You know, last year he wasn't that good. It's fun. He's quick, but I think he's going to make a nice leap. Buddy Hill is a great, you know, really, he's a really, really good shooter. Um, I, I mean, I, I, you got to think one year they stop being an embarrassment, right? So they're not going to win a lot of games. I think it'll be kind of fun this year, especially with Harry Giles and Bagley. But the problem is they passed on a guy like Luka Doncic to get Bagley. And I get it. Doncic pretty much said, "If you, I don't want to come there. But mm-hmm. you got to, I think you, you got to swing for it. And you gotta install him and let him do his thing. But I get it. You know, he, he made it he made it clear he didn't want to be there. So <sighs> poor Kings fans. I'm with you. Oh man. Well, do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Um, no, because I'm basically uh, I think I'm I'm just kind of floating right now, man. I'm not really I haven't haven't done any season previews. I'm just doing podcasts. I'm like a I'm like a nomad. Okay. But well, still, you're not a no bad on this show. Also, still, you have, hey, always have a spot. Still shout out to B-Ball Breakdown. Shout out to Real Ball Insiders. We're going to start cranking out content. So thanks for having me on, brother. I really appreciate you. All right, James. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. All right. William R. Washington, the WWE expert, one of my favorite guests to talk pro wrestling with, is on the line right now of RBR Wrestling that you should check out every single week on Wednesday nights. New episode is up this week. You came in a little late. You, I thought it was a no William RBR this week, but uh, and that's what I call it now is William RBR. But um, yeah, yeah, I did. He, yeah. Uh, I, I did come in late. I've been super busy with uh, my wife's out of town, so I'm on double parent duty. Oh man. Okay. Well, <laughs> good luck. That uh, that sounds like a lot, but it, uh, it is. You can it, handle it. Yeah, I'm sure I can. No, like seriously. At the start of the show uh, last night, um, I had, I was actually, so a little behind the scenes note for that show. I I produce it still, 
And so what I did was like I started the theme music, like the show goes live. So I started the music, gave Eric Brady the cues to like do the intro, and then had to take off, go tuck in my kids, read them bedtime stories, and then <laughs> run back in to then join the show as it as it actually went. So it's it's been uh quite a thing i need her to come back as a matter of fact i just got a text from her that said just landed so i suppose in about 25 minutes i'll be good oh so you're really close to the airport like that's not how atlanta works at all if you uh, fly in and you get in like you still have a good solid hour to two hours I'm, i mean okay so i i'm exaggerating it's more like okay. an hour it, it'll take her i live about half an hour from see the thing is like we have this really good stretch here in denver uh where uh, it's called Pena Boulevard, which is just like this really long kind of highway that just goes straight into the airport. Mm-hmm. And um, unless you're like driving it on around like Christmas or Thanksgiving, hardly any traffic. And uh, and it, you know it's a huge airport. It has the uh, all of the controversy surrounding it and conspiracy theories. Uh, if you know anything about DIA no, I as don't. an airport, what you don't know about DIA as an airport? Um, no just look idea. up like Jesse Ventura did a whole thing. Oh, on God. his show about uh, our airport and how um, it's like owned by the Illuminati. There's a lot of things. Huh. There's a lot of like crazy theories about our airport. And the only thing that rings very true about it is that as we had a perfectly functioning airport in 1994, for some reason, this one was just built. And uh, the other was kind of decommissioned and nobody's sure as to why. But, uh, yeah, there's some crazy theories about our airport. But anyway, yeah, it takes wow. about half an hour to get there. And then, uh, but I would say getting out and getting her luggage is probably going to take her another half hour. So I expect to see her about an hour from the time she texted me. Which is a great segue. And I appreciate <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you segueing that in because you know what else took an hour? Triple H versus The Undertaker. Uh, it felt like though. it anyway. Oh, that yeah. was the worst match, I think. The, I... I I feel like I'm exaggerating if I say it's the worst match I've ever seen, but at the same time, I'm finding it hard to come up with anything I enjoyed less than Triple H versus The Undertaker, and I was really looking forward to it. I thought all the promo work, the build, uh, the fact that they took a match that they kind of just shoehorned into Raw with two guys who haven't been involved in current storylines in a really long time, I thought they did a really good job with that. I thought they built interest really well. They really made us feel like there could possibly be some animosity between these two kind of out of nowhere. It wasn't just like Cena versus Triple H from earlier this year where it was just like, here's a match we just slapped on a card featuring two guys that are legends. I forgot about that already. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, that was the one at at the Greatest Royal Rumble and it just just slapped on the card and then never referenced again. And I thought Mm -hmm. that's what Triple H and Taker was going to be, but they managed to make a feud out of it. And I was entertained. And then the match actually happened and I wasn't. Or I guess I was. It was a spectacle. Yeah. So I wrote about this where it's like if you watch that hype video to open Raw where mm-hmm. Triple H is like show the video, that match looks like it was amazing. Like if you only if you skip the the show and you didn't wake up at five o'clock in the morning on Saturday to watch it and you just tuned in to Raw and you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that match. How'd it go? Oh, this looks awesome. I'm going to go and check this out. And then you watch it. You're like, that's nothing like what the hype video made me think this was going to be. They are uh, unbelievable still to this point at making every feud seem like the biggest thing ever. So kudos to them for conning people time after time. But like it was superb this week. One of the, one of the best ever in my opinion. Yeah, uh, definitely. They did a really good job of just highlighting where the match went right, which wasn't very often. 
And uh, because the match, like, I think on its own, if these guys were like, if Taker was just four years younger is all I'm asking, <laughs> maybe even three. Uh, I think the story it was trying to tell was excellent. Um, it was just so badly worked. And it was worked by two guys who, um, I think one of the things, I said this on RBR last night, but one thing that WWE did really well, and not just WWE, but uh, specifically Ric Flair. Um, Ric Flair, you know, obviously wrestled well into his mid-50s. And uh, one thing that he did superbly in those last almost 10 years of his career was he worked what I, I like to call the old man match. And um, there's a lot of guys in the business who work the old man match. And, you know, they work it at indie shows, they work it what, wherever. And it really just kind of masks what you can and can't do. And I feel like Taker's almost afraid to have that kind of match because it kind of diminishes the appeal and the mystique of The Undertaker. But he really should try because trying to work the kind of match he's worked his entire career is not going to happen. It's it's not happening. It's He's slow. He's... Uh, like, you know, it all started kind of with the Roman Reigns match. Honestly, I kind of think it started before that. Like, he looked really bad in that rumble he was in at mm-hmm. the beginning of 2017. And I think just from 2017 on, he is just not there in the ring anymore. And Which is th- fine because he's old. Yeah. He's like, been through a lot. Like, it's fine. Father yeah, no time, one... It comes for everybody. Like, no one, I, I don't think, would fault him if the only matches he worked, if he has to work matches, are basically the Cena match he had, which is just terrible. like... terrible. I hated it. Well, it, you hated it because like you were hyped up for weeks on end with these great Cena promos, and he comes in and basically no, squashes. I actually did not. Uh, uh, I was not hyped for that at all. But I, like, I did not, yeah, because I just he, knew where it was going. Because Undertaker, we've seen the Undertaker. It's like it's not like he. You're getting 2006 Undertaker if he has a match with Cena. It's just like it's it's who he is now. Yeah, well, like he came in and squashed Cena, and it it's not even a terrible match because there was like no match, and right. so it that's was him why- just doing his. It, like what you want him to do which yeah he what did you're talking about where it's like he hits his big signature moves he walked the tightrope everything like he just did the basic stuff and you're like john cena's like 10 years younger than him and still being treated as like a top guy like why is he just losing to the undertaker in this embarrassing fashion i don't know i just yeah never, that's probably something never... that like the kind of match you throw like fandango in right right and, and where just undertaker gets to do the greatest hits and pose And it's like really just all about the entrance in the tombstone. And Mm -hmm. like, I feel like that's where Taker is at this point. And if he's going to work, say, a a match with like an actual rival, you just have to do it smarter than this one. And this didn't feel like a smart match at all. It felt like somebody thought that they could produce even a 2012 Triple H Undertaker match. And like, I don't know. Hunter hasn't shown me any signs that he can't do it. But I definitely feel it out of The Undertaker that it's just not there for him anymore. It's just kind of like, you know, Vince Carter, still in the league, still getting checks. Like, I think he started in the league before Trey Young was even born. I think that's what it is, and they're <laughs> on the same team now, which is pretty insane. Um, it's it's different. You have to adjust. Like, it's the same thing with basketball as it is with sports and pro wrestling and everything else, where I think Undertaker is like Eli Manning at this point where it's like people have this idea of him. Like the Giants did not draft a franchise quarterback. They passed on Darnold. They passed on certain guys, Josh Rosen, guys like that. And they were like, we think we can surround him with talent. We can get Saquon Barkley and it will revitalize him. It'll make him feel younger. He'll be better. 
And it's like, well, no, he's still old. Like, you didn't change the fact that Eli Manning is old and bad. Like, you can put Triple H, who's in great shape. You can put The Undertaker up against Roman Reigns. You can put him up against um, AJ Styles. Whoever you want to put him up against, it doesn't mask the fact that he's still old and he still has a bad hip and he still can't move and he's still just not good anymore. Like, you can't... Like, it's just who he is now. Like, you can throw everything at the like that you want to try and hide the fact that Undertaker is not who he used to be. But at the end of the day, once the match starts you can't hide that stuff and i'm you know what man like it's still kind of amazing to me that he was like yeah i'll do this like with his body like it's still kind of baffling to me that he was just like yeah i'll go 20 who cares like let's see what happens i I, i'm really surprised by that yeah uh that match what was the official time on it by the way 29 minutes it i if you told me 29 if you told me 65 you told me 43 (laughs) i know it just felt like an eternity but i think it was like right at the half hour mark yeah, but uh, another match that got a lot of time, Charlotte and Becky Lynch. I think it was like 20 minutes. They got significant time. Uh, did they? Yeah, it was over 20 minutes. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, um, but it, it kind of felt like 20 minutes. It was another one where you're like, oh, God, I know where this is going. Once Becky started doing the heelish stuff and trying to get counted out and um, everything else where it's like, oh, we're not getting a clear winner here. And it was kind of random that they just kicked off because I'd forgotten that's how sm- like this was being booked was that like we were having this title match to just kick off the show and i'm like oh we're having a blood title match to start oh you're talking about the one on smackdown okay yeah Yeah, that did go a really long time Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and yeah it so i thought you were talking about uh super showdown for a minute i'm like i don't remember that one going that long no 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 no. yeah but yeah i mean so it was to set up the last man standing match for evolution and i feel like that's kind of a wwe trope is that you know a last man standing match is all about beating your opponent till they can't stand anymore and in order to get there you need to establish that these guys can even go there like i think the only time wwe has really put on like a bs last man standing match was right off the top of my head roman reigns versus kane where it was like a match it was just a regular match and roman reigns hits the superman punch and then spear and Kane just stays down for a 10 count for no reason as if that, uh, th- I don't know, but either way, as far as these two are concerned, um, yeah, it, it was clearly to set this match up. I hope it made events evolution. I feel like it's the only thing that can, I know my, if I were a betting man, I would put all my money on Ronda Rousey and Nikki I was Bella say, yeah, main eventing. I it's Rousey. Yeah. Yeah. I, just because it's Ronda Rousey and Nikki Bella. But also I that is a much bigger deal. The Bella here heel turn. But also, I don't know if you saw Nikki Bella tossing the sign away from the fan, like the Chris Jericho heel move from WCW. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think that I, I don't think that feud has enough buzz or heat. I don't think it matters to them. Legitimate though. interest. Right. And that's the thing is I don't think that matters. They're just going to see it as. Uh, hey, these are two. I think the most insulting thing about that, though, if it made events, is that you you put on this show, WWE Evolution, and you're selling it as you know our first ever women's pay per view, finally giving the women what they've worked so hard for. But also, we're going to main event it with a woman who's been in the company eight months and a woman who hasn't been full time in going on three years. Yeah, it so, would make a lot more sense to give it to Charlotte and Becky, who've been two of the biggest stars of this new era. Yeah, they've been two of the biggest stars. They've been the workhorses. They've been around a long time. I think that's kind of the, that should be the reward 
as far as this pay-per-view is concerned, but I don't think they care. I think it's going to be more about um, who do the fans recognize the most, which I don't know how that translates in the main events. To me, like if I were structuring a show, I feel like because WWE shows are so long, like especially like a WrestleMania, right? Um, where the show can go upwards of five hours. Evolution obviously won't do that. But you have to think about the fact that like the people who stick around the longest through stuff like that are the diehard hardcore fans. So like that's where I would put on diehard hardcore matches. Whereas the matches where you're trying to appeal to more mainstream, you know those people aren't going to stick around for four hours. Like put that stuff on kind of maybe even a point early. I mean, put it on maybe middle of the show um, because essentially you're going to try and get these people to like, I I get what the point is, is to try and get them to stick around. Uh, Well, did you see why Bubba Ray said that AJ Styles always has his matches in the middle of the show? I saw the headline and I thought, I don't really care what Bubba Ray said. (laughs) But uh, so what was his reasoning? So, he said, and I think it, it's kind of funny because he compared himself to AJ and Edge and other guys like that because he's like, that's something I dealt with in the WWE when I was there. Is that you like, were never going to made a fit, Bubba Ray Dudley? But sorry, uh, go ahead. I think he still, th- but I think he's. I, it's weird. Either he thinks that the tag teams could have made a vented or should have made a vented when the Team 3D was in their heyday with Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys and everything, or I, I don't know. But he said basically. The company knows that AJ is going to have the best match on the card, so they don't want to waste that at the end. So they want to get that out of the way because they want to prop up something else because fans are going to like that match and he's going to steal the show no matter what, and they'd rather just get that out of the way before the end of the show. That's his rationale. Oh, it's kind of like when you go to a fireworks show and the big finale is like right in the middle, (laughs) and then you just get like a bunch of boring fireworks to end it. Well, is that that's how, how that works? That they, that's how he says that they do things, which oh, okay. actually makes sense. It makes I, sense. As, yeah. See, I, I brought up on RVR last night, and I think we went back to SummerSlam to find out that it's true, but like, they have structured every pay-per-view exactly the same for the last... It, it's been a few months now. Uh, I think um, going back to maybe the pay-per-view before SummerSlam, but like, they have this new structure of um, kicking off with a SmackDown match, or kicking off with a couple of SmackDown matches, throw in a low-card Raw match, go back to... No, then the WWE Championship for some reason, then back to Raw, then whatever Daniel Bryan is doing, because he is like the star of SmackDown at this point, and then Ronda Rousey, then (laughs) Roman Reigns. I was going to say, yeah, Raw gets the last two no matter what. Yeah, Raw gets the last two, and it's always Rousey and Reigns, unless there's something even higher than that, like we did with Triple H and Undertaker. But like the WWE title um, falls... Like it ranks now under Ronda Rousey. It ranks under Daniel Bryan. It ranks under Roman Reigns. Like it's, it's We're finally back to the Dolph Ziggler World Heavyweight Title era. Y- yeah, kinda. Um, I I don't know. I mean, luckily Bryan has moved into the WWE title picture, and so has Miz. So I almost wonder. There's now nothing you can put on from SmackDown after that. Yeah. So at least it's going to get the top SmackDown spot. Well, when Charlotte Flair wins the feud with Becky, who knows? Uh, that's that's happening for sure. Oh, yeah. There's 100%. no way that the first ever women's pay-per-view ends with anybody but either Ronda Rousey celebrating or Charlotte Flair celebrating. I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if they plant seeds to the Charlotte-Ronda Rousey WrestleMania match next year at the end of this show. Yeah, I could see that. Oh, um, man. Charlotte yeah, back to y- being champ. Her 15th reign in three years in the company. Uh, you know, and 
I, 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 there was a quote from my former RBR co-host Anthony Scats. He mentioned on Twitter, and I, I love this, but he had mentioned how, um, you know, Charlotte is basically towing the the WWE line that uh, guys like Roman Reigns and John Cena have said for the last couple of years, which is she was asked about the negative reactions on uh, I want to say Lillian Garcia's podcast, mm-hmm. and she had said that it, she gave the old. You know, if I wasn't getting a reaction, it wouldn't be a problem. But, you know, whether you love me or hate me, you know, I'm still getting a reaction. And it's like that's that same bullshit that um, like pretty much the only time you hear that is from people who are getting booed. Um, You don't ever hear that. You don't ever hear AJ Styles saying, you know, uh, they could hate me and I'd be okay with that. Like, that's not a thing that a a successful babyface would say. It's something Mm -hmm. that babyfaces who aren't getting the reaction that the company is aiming for say to i guess i don't know it's almost just kind of like making an excuse yeah it's definitely triple h does this all the time with his stuff like i mean that's part of his role as um the coo is like he's definitely he's he's into pr he's a very good pr guy now he's he's not even really the coo that's what a uh a a kayfabe title the head of talent relations is his official title Mm. okay he's in the old jr role huh did not even know what to call what he does every week. <laughs> He's got a lot of a lot of hats. And uh, as someone on Cage Side Seats pointed out this week, um, Drake Maverick, another guy wearing a lot of hats, where he complained about Mike Kanellis, a guy you're very familiar with, his debut uh, yeah. on Two Five Live. And, I love Mike Kanellis. Uh, now keep in mind, Mike Kanellis is a friend of mine. So right. like I have I'm very biased as far as he's concerned. So like when something's happening with him, I'm always like, oh that's cool. And then I read online, and they're like, oh this sucks. And I think, uh, I don't think I can be objective as far as he's concerned. But that said, go ahead. Well, it has nothing really to do with him because I thought he was fine. I think having Maria back is going to be nice and I think he'll do pretty well on Tua Vibe Live. But Drake Maverick, this is the problem with Vince being like, you know what? I'm tired of paying these cruiserweights um, all this money to wrestle once a month. So I'm going to have them appear on Raw now um, in manager roles and different characters. And Drake Maverick led a demolition this past Monday on Raw with AOP. They just destroyed people. And uh, then he complained the next night or two nights ago um, on 205 Live about the way Mike Kanellis came in <laughs> to 205 So he's two different people. Like, it, he's really like 205 Live Drake Maverick is a different character than Monday Night Raw Drake Maverick. It's, and I think um, that the big issue I have with that is that like I like Drake Maverick. I think Rockstar Spud was an excellent. He's performer. good. Yeah, he's really good. Both. It's just there's I can't, no quality control. Well, the issue to me is you didn't have anyone else to fill this role on Raw. You had to take a guy who was in the general manager role on another show that you run on television. I mean, barely on television, I guess. Uh, and, and so maybe that's the thing is that 205 Live, as far as we're concerned, is not canon to. <laughs> uh raw and smackdown because it occurs on the network but i don't know that's same with um leo rush like i think leo rush and bobby lashley are going to be a complete money duo i think the bobby lashley heel turn was the right call for him yep uh but it's just very fascinating that he is someone else on 205 live and it's not even mentioned referenced at all that he has anything to do with bobby lashley and in the other direction it's never mentioned on Raw that he is a competitor on 205 Live. Right. So if you're worried about ratings and just the coverage that 205 Live is getting, you would think they would mention that. 
Uh, I don't think they are worried about it. No. I don't think Vince watches 205 Live. I think I, that's part of it, too. I think it's just more programming for WWE Network. Right. Um, but it's just I content. Think, they don't really care what the content is. Just more stuff. Well, I think the whole Wednesday night block, like especially now that it's away from SmackDown completely as far as when it airs, um, the whole Wednesday night block is essentially like stuff that's not really relevant to Raw and SmackDown. Um, you know, you have the May Young Classic, you have NXT, and you Mixed have... Mixed Match Challenge. Um, Mixed Match Challenge. Uh, Mixed Match Challenge is, is bizarre in itself, but just right. specifically speaking on yeah, 205 like Live. Yeah, Balor and Bailey are a team, and if you don't watch uh, MMC, then you don't understand what's going on here. Even though they are... Like, I wanted to dislike that pairing. I really like them. I There is something naturally yeah. appealing about the two of them. Together. I have to say, I am incredibly disappointed that at this point they have not timed out the Bailey buddies with mm. Finn Balor's entrance. Like that is, these were almost made to go together of, <laughs> <laughs> of like he does the, oh, and the, yeah. and the Bailey buddies come up with him. That mm-hmm. would be perfect. And you only have to do it three times when he's right. on the stage. And we've still yet to see that. And I feel that I will not be satisfied with the existence of this team until I do see it. Yeah. Um, I feel like I write down my notes every week. Why does this company not cancel main event and 205 Live and just bring back heat and velocity? I it mean, it helps so many things. Kind of. Those are just names. I guess that's why. Or whatever. Like, uh-huh. just a normal, like, Sheldon Benjamin just appearing and being a big deal again on SmackDown <laughs> the last two weeks is bizarre. Guy, sanity hasn't been seen in like three and a half months. I mean, we'll I think it be- hurts to have, uh, to have SmackDown have no B show because right. essentially all that means for SmackDown is that if someone's not appearing on SmackDown, they ain't working. Like, Mike Kanellis um, has at least, despite the fact that he got drafted to Raw in the Superstar Shakeup and never appeared on Raw, except during Pull Apart Brawls, where he was a wrestler pulling apart others. <laughs> um, There's all kinds of issues with that, but yeah. Yeah. In spite of that, like, despite that, at least he has worked main event pretty much every week since he got drafted, which went a lot further than being on SmackDown and essentially being in gear and never working. So I I think SmackDown either needs a B show or uh, I don't know. I, I on the other end I do kind of like that SmackDown has this almost like cycle of talent where guys do disappear for months at a time. Like those are things that we've been calling for as fans for a long time of like, hey, cycle these guys out and that way that way you don't just like burn them out. Like the bar we probably won't see for a few months, but like mm-hmm. that's better than them just being on TV toiling away. Right. That's fair. I don't know. I guess it just hurts guys who are just starting out. I think it doesn't hurt the veterans who you're talking about. It hurts guys like Andrade. It hurts guys. Oh, yeah. That... It's been now two weeks without Andrade now. Yeah. So like, if you want people to just kind of know who this guy is and establish some sort of consistency there, then it's okay. But I think uh, I just don't like using it for I don't like young guys just not appearing for months on end. But if you're like a Jeff Hardy or Shinsuke Nakamura, I don't think it matters as much. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, I have to ask this because I want to know. Okay, Dean Ambrose. Uh huh. I I think, and this concerns me, is I think that they're inching towards a Becky type thing for him, and they want to do the Becky stuff with him. He got a really strong reaction in that six man tag match. I want to say they were chanting "We want Ambrose" really loudly at one point in this match. Him and Seth Rollins still super over. I. I just, I don't think, so I read about this where it's like, 
if the plan is to pit him against Roman Reigns, that is a very good idea because I think the fans will get behind him. That will be a hot feud. If he's feuding with Roman Reigns for the WWE title, that's fine because I think those two mesh well. If you put, if the plan is to start setting up, I don't know, man. I, haven't they only had? Haven't they only had one match and it was actually pretty bad? I'm not talking about the match itself. I'm talking okay. about the build and like <laughs> okay, the feud and like those two doing promos against each other. Like I think that kind of dynamic with their characters works. It doesn't work with Seth Rollins because fans really like Seth Rollins and fans really like Dean Ambrose. And I don't think it would end up doing any of the two any favors if the plan here is to turn Ambrose on Seth Rollins. And I feel like that's where they're going. If I had to bet is this is just the early build to Seth versus Dean. And I think that's a mistake because I don't think fans like you actually have two baby faces here that fans like. And you have this other guy who's the champion fans don't really like Dean Ambrose go after the WWE title few with Roman. I mean, I know there's so this entire... is, so if okay. I were writing this, um, I would take. OK, so we just turned Bobby Lashley, right? I right. would put him in, you know, probably if not a throwaway match, but maybe just like a one or two time match with Seth Rollins. Have Bobby take the Intercontinental title. Right. So. Um, we'll keep these like lingering feelings with Dean Ambrose going where like he's the only one without a title and he feels like he's basically trying to to carry those two. And so somewhere along the way in the next like two months, you take the Intercontinental title off Seth and you've had Seth for the last few weeks already trying to assure Dean, hey, everything's OK. It's not just, you know, it, it's just circumstance. We're not here to just carry you. And all of a sudden now Seth doesn't have a title. and everybody's now being expected to carry Roman. And now Seth starts to have these same feelings that Dean's been having of like, what am I doing here? Here's Roman with the universal title and I've got nothing. And then Dean having that same feeling and just kind of start trying to, I mean, so that way it's not really like a heel turn per se, but it's more of a, what is this group doing for me as Dean's already starting to feel, then have Seth start to have those feelings and then build to basically a triple threat between them. At WrestleMania. At WrestleMania. That Roman wins. No. Uh, I think Seth... I mean, if that's a build they're going with, they're, Roman's winning that. I think Seth has to win at some point. Um, he just should be the guy all summer. Well, it's I mean, well, been... I say that, you know, they did the first triple threat, and um, Dean won. And then, if you've seen the Shield DVD, it includes the the actual first triple threat between them that took place in FCW that oh, Roman right. won. So, like, I would actually maybe make that just a tiny bit of canon and that it exists. I wouldn't, like, harp on to harp on it too much, but just kind of reference say, the fact that... I don't know if that, Triple H wants anyone to know about uh-huh. FCW ever existing. Well, I mean, like I said, they put it on their the DVD just to show that right. these guys did face each other one time before. So I would kind of just reference it as the first time we three interacted, uh, it was this triple threat match, Roman won. The next time was for the WWE Championship. At that point, Dean won. And now here we are for the Universal Championship. And it would only make sense that Seth pulls off the victory. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he Leak at that time? Leake, you mean? Leake? Oh, yeah. Or Leake? Yeah, I don't know. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. I yeah, I, I, it's definitely not Leak. Um, <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> you could have sold that a little better, Mr. <laughs> Ring Warriors. Like you could have at least given me a little bit of a bit of the doubt there. Yeah, I don't Damn, know. Damn, Will, that was cold. <laughs> it's definitely not leak. Uh, yeah, definitely not. Oh my god, brutal. Uh, yeah. Last thing, then we'll go. Um, Shawn Michaels after this feud. What do you think the end game is for for him? And also, if you could fantasy book, and if you could use Shawn Michaels to elevate any of the current guys, who would you pair him with for WrestleMania next Bam. year? Bam. Okay, I'm glad somebody's asked this because I've had this idea floating in my head, and I haven't gotten to talk about it anywhere. All right, so this is what I would do. First, it starts over on SmackDown, um, where we've got this triple threat feud brewing between AJ Styles, uh, Miz, and um, Daniel Bryan. So I would have at Survivor Series, Daniel or uh, Miz wins the WWE title. Um, Miz then defends the WWE World Title at TLC against um, AJ Styles and successfully retains, however nefarious means he does so. Um, so the build to WrestleMania on SmackDown ends up becoming uh, something between Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, where both of them want their shot at the Miz, and it comes down to let's say a match at Fastlane, AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan, the actual one-on-one match with the definitive finish. Daniel Bryan wins it. Bryan moves on to the WWE title. And at WrestleMania, we get AJ, I mean, we get uh, Daniel Bryan versus The Miz for the WWE World Championship. That picture is squared away. Raw now. So Shawn Michaels and... Or so DX is facing the Brothers of Destruction at Crown Jewel. You have... I don't know how that match ends. I, I don't really care. Um, but the, but then that leads to what we're inevitably be, we've been building to for a while, which is um, that Shawn Michaels wants The Undertaker one more time one-on-one. Don't do it at WrestleMania. I would do this at um, Survivor Series and kind of make it the Shawn taking back his loss kind of match. And Shawn wins and that Undertaker feud officially over. Shawn moves on. Uh, and then I think you do maybe a Royal Rumble match throwaway with maybe Seth Rollins, like one of the dream opponents for Shawn Michaels. And then at that point, we start to reach WrestleMania. And here we have over on SmackDown, AJ Styles now with no opponent for WrestleMania uh, because he lost the number one contender match with Daniel Bryan. And here we have Shawn Michaels looking for competition at WrestleMania, looking for the dream opponent. And at WrestleMania, Raw and SmackDown, head-to-head, the legend of Shawn Michaels versus the absolute talent of AJ Styles from SmackDown going one-on-one at WrestleMania. Okay. I could, I could get behind that. But like I said, it requires taking the title off AJ Styles, I think. Right. And I so, think they... I mean, I wouldn't rule that out with The Miz and Bryan. Like, I think one of those two will actually be the one to take it off Styles. I could be wrong. But... Oh, yeah. No, I think it's 100% Miz. Uh, I yeah. think... Uh, if there's anybody who needs that uh, credit for ending the longest reigning champion in SmackDown history's reign, um, like it shouldn't be Daniel Bryan because that's just not an accolade that you, you know would. It should be Andrade Cien Almas after he wins the Rumble and challenges it, AJ to beat him at WrestleMania. That would be fun. Um, I, it needs to be a heel who can kind of parade that accolade in everybody's face for months on end, and Daniel Bryan's Zayna not going to be Vega. that guy. Like being if, able to say uh, that she yeah. was the one. I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely. But I, the I match feel be like better. I feel like it's a Miz thing. Miz yeah. would be the one to get on the mic and call himself the most must see WWE champion in history, and also the yeah. guy who ended AJ Styles' historic reign. Yeah, that's fair. 
Um, my fantasy booking for Shawn Michaels, it's very brief. It okay. goes along the lines with The Undertaker. I think there's something you can do here. Alistair Black is gone right now. He's not an XD. He got hurt. He They're looking for his attacker, all that good stuff. He's already been champion. He really has nothing else to prove on NXT. If there was a way to bring him up to the main roster, what kind of moveset does uh, Alistair Black utilize? Kicks. Oh, Who no. <laughs> is the inventor of the Sweet Chin music? I, mean, I think there's actually a real answer to that, but we'll go with Sean Michaels. <laughs> Not on this podcast. Yes. Um, he beats The Undertaker. One-on-one, Survivor Series, all that good stuff. The next night on Raw, he's celebrating his beating of The Undertaker. He got that off his back. It's done. He got his win back. Aleister Black's music hits. That's what we get. That's the build is Aleister Black saying, yeah, you may have taken out one demon, but now the new demon, the young upstart, Aleister Black, sets his sights on Shawn Michaels and Shawn Michaels puts Aleister Black over in the biggest way possible because um, Aleister Black, he jumpstarts his career on the main roster by uh, taking down Shawn Michaels and retiring him again. Um, Kicking his head off. I know WWE kind of hates that kind of stuff in that uh, they never want to give a huge rub like that to somebody because I, I think it'd be interesting and I would love to see WWE do it but I think the only time they've taken that risk was Brock Lesnar and at the time they felt like it blew up in their faces and that they let Brock Lesnar go over clean the rock they let him go over the undertaker they let him beat all these guys and then he left and so uh, I feel like they're really timid now about the idea of having somebody go over huge like that in another, I mean, in a way now and we wouldn't worry about that with Alistair. He's in his early 30s. He's not going anywhere. Well, it's more so that if it doesn't work out, if for some reason, like the following year, Alistair Black pulls a Chris Benoit, right? Then all of a sudden. Oh, my God. Uh, I, hope <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Right. But like uh, it, it would suck if he did something like that. And all of a sudden now this rub that was given to him is is completely wasted. Like I feel like WWE is very high on the idea of giving those kinds of rubs to people who are at least established enough to where, um, you know, if that person's career then ended the following year, like think about Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair, right? That a lot of people were calling for CM Punk to end Ric Flair's career at the time. I, I'm not sure why, but uh, at the time people were like, no, give the match to CM Punk. You know, Shawn Michaels is already established. He's that guy. But like, at least there was no risk in doing that with Shawn Michaels because Shawn Michaels already had, a run that was considered legendary. Um, and same with uh, Shawn Michaels was set to feud. I don't know if it was going to end his career, but he was supposed to feud with The Miz uh, prior to WrestleMania 26 and ended up hmm. feuding with, uh, and Shawn kind of, um, he kind of put the kibosh on that feud and he just wanted to do the Undertaker thing, get it out of the way, and that's who's going to end his career. And had it been The Miz, the Miz did have has had a good run these last couple of years, but he fizzled out for a while there. Those uh, for a few years, and who knows how diminished Sean putting him over would have been if that had happened. So I, I get WWE's timidness with it of like make sure that the guy that we're putting over our legends has enough of a solidified run to where it won't hurt if that guy doesn't work out. Like AJ Styles is established at this point. AJ Styles is 
is a if his career ended tomorrow, he still had a Hall of Fame WWE career, and it's only been three years. Yeah, that's fair. But I, 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 you had I, me I, thinking I, about what would have what it would have looked like if CM Punk had been had been in Shawn Michaels' place for that Ric Flair retirement match, and uh-huh. like what he would have been the equivalent of Shawn saying, "I'm so sorry," because Punk wouldn't have done that. I imagine <laughs> him just being like, "Time's up," and just like tapping his wrist before he hits the GTS. I don't know what he would have done. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure why that was like the big thing on the internet at the time but 10 years ago everybody's like no it should be cm punk it should be somebody who needs the rub not Shawn michaels he's already got an established career but like i think at this point um you, you the career ending rubs like that really should go to guys who uh can handle the accolade and not and the accolade won't diminish for any reason okay that's fair i can agree either way you can't go wrong though right Alistair no. or AJ. Yeah. yeah, I think Alistair would be fun. I, I think that would be a really cool thing to see. I think AJ should be the guy that Sean gets in there with, as especially considering um, it's a really easy story to tell and that uh, AJ is established on yeah. screen as the guy who goes in there and steals the show. He's the current showstopper, as it were. And Shawn Michaels is that guy as well. That's fair. I wouldn't be opposed. It'd be good, and we'd love it. Um, I just, I've already mapped out just the, or just like kind of pictured the reaction of Alistair Black's music hitting at during a <laughs> Shawn Michaels post Undertaker win celebration. I just think that'd be one of the best moments of professional wrestling in the last couple of years. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe <laughs> no, I think Alistair it's Alistair cool. Black yeah, guy. Yeah, I, I love Alistair Black. So he's so good. Um, and more young guys, and more guys on Raw that I actually like watching. That's what I would like. Because Kevin Owens is gone now. He's gone for months, and it could be like a year, last I read. He's... They uh, said, I, I saw at the minimum four months. Yeah. I'm not I'm not, not feeling great, because I, I love Kevin Owens. But, uh, you know, Raw has Roman Reigns, Authors of Pain, The Ascension every week, all kinds of great stuff. I'm sorry, did you include <laughs> The Ascension in there? <laughs> Paul doesn't... Like, he won't admit that Connor's in really good shape now. I want him to admit that because he gave Connor a lot of crap for a couple of years and Connor, Hey, he's made significant strides. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Uh, I always plan on ending this podcast with the Ascension. That was, that's in my show notes. Oh, okay. Yeah. William, I appreciate you taking the time as always, sir. We can find you on Twitter at William RBR. We can listen to you every single week on Wednesday nights on mixer.com slash fan off where you are the lead host, lead host, all caps of RBR wrestling. We're um, equals. No, don't do that. Eric Brady, he started this week and I don't know, just didn't feel the same. I almost turned off the episode because <laughs> you didn't open, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I love Eric. So I don't know. I actually haven't listened to the beginning yet. So I have no clue how it went. Um, didn't miss much. Yeah. There, there was a guy named Cody on. Oh, yeah. His name with a K. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway go check out the podcast it's great let's do it every week so do all that and will um good luck with uh, the parenting tonight for the rest of the night all right we'll do sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, 
a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.